Welcome to the LA Public Health Podcast for Tuesday, August 18th, 2020. I'm Steve Baldwin. As the new school year approaches, school districts, teachers, parents, and kids are gearing up for what no doubt will be a very unique school year given the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Recently, Los Angeles County Office of Education Superintendent Dr. Deborah Duardo convened a conversation featuring Dr. Jonathan Sharon, Director of the Los Angeles County Department of Mental Health, and Dr. Barbara Ferrer, Director of the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. The three county leaders discussed what parents and students can do to help get us back to school safely and shared their insights on what parents and other adults can do to ensure our children are mentally and emotionally well during what is a stressful time for all of us. A quick programming note, if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please do, and remember to find us on social media, at LA Public Health. And now, Dr. Deborah Duardo. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am really honored to have two special guests joining us. I have Dr. Barbara Farrar from the Department of Public Health and Dr. John Sharon from the Department of Mental Health. And we're gonna be talking about how we can work together as one county to support our students, our parents, our staff, as we think about welcoming students back to school. And there's a lot of work to be done. We need the support of everyone to make sure that our students can come back in a very safe and holistic way. And I'm very honored to have both of these guests joining us today. So I'd like to start off with Dr. Farrar. And I'd like Dr. Farrar, if you can tell us what can parents and students do right now to help us get back to school uh, safely. So what can we do right now? Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Eduardo, and, and to your team, I, the excellent leadership that's been just wonderful working with you and with Dr. Sharon. I, I, I can't think of two other people uh, that care more about children and the families that children live in than, than both of you. So it's just an honor to be here with you. I would have to say that um, if we really want uh, our children to be able to go back to school and, and, and that to be an in-classroom learning experience, everyone's got to do their part. And I mean, uh, people have to understand that the actions you're taking today uh, make a huge difference on how much community transmission there is. Uh, there's really no way to think about opening schools when you have a lot of uh, community transmission. Uh, for an in-classroom experience because what we're seeing outside, all the spread that we're seeing in our communities will end up, uh, even in spite of all of our good efforts, will end up coming into those school buildings. Uh, The buildings aren't bubbles. Uh, People go in and out. uh, And so infections uh, that are happening in the community easily come in and then we have infections spreading in in the school community. But I'm certain Uh, that that doesn't need to happen if we drive down the rates of community transmission. And I say this to people, like, we have choices we have to make. Uh, If we really want our children to go back to school, we have to stop going to birthday parties uh, with people not in our households. We have to stop going to that swimming party uh, in someone's backyard pool. Uh, We have to stop thinking that it's essential uh, that we celebrate a quinceanero this year. Uh, This is not the time to have social events with people not in your household. Not if we want children to go back to school. One of the biggest ways that we're seeing uh, the spread of this infection is in these gatherings. They can be small gatherings with 20 people or large gatherings with 100 people. 
in all of these situations, it's highly likely, given how much infection there is around in our community, that there will be people at those gatherings who are not sick, but they're infected and capable of passing that infection on. So I urge people, the priority has to be to be able to have people get to work and be safe at work and to have our children be able to go back to school and be safe at their schools. And in order for that to happen, we have to bring down the rate of transmission. Right now, the state says in order for schools to open in LA County, we have to have only 150 cases for every 100,000 people. Our rate in LA County today is 400 cases for every 100,000 people. We have a ways to go. We can get there, but it is it does mean that we have to make choices as individuals and we have to insist that our businesses create safe environments for all of the workers. Thank you, Dr. Farrar, that's so critical. If everybody would just do their part in following the public health orders and making sure we're slowing down this spread, I'm sure we'd be much better off than we are. So really appreciate your guidance. Uh, I have a question for Dr. Sharon now. It's been months of people um, being isolated, you know, grandparents not being able to see their grandchildren, students separated from their friends, their teachers. Uh, and this is impacting everybody. Uh, it's impacting adults, but it's definitely having an impact on children. Can you tell us a little bit more about, one, what can we do to ensure that our youth are mentally, emotionally well? And also, what are some signs that parents can look for that may tell them that their students are, or their children are having some challenges um, emotionally? Well, Dr. Duarte, first, thanks so much for having me. Um, and, and also, it's great to be here with Dr. Ferrer. Um, you guys are incredible colleagues. And, uh, you know, together along with, um, you know, the rest of the county departments and, and other jurisdictions, and frankly, um, all of our communities, um, we have an opportunity here uh, to get through this. And I would say to get through it stronger. Uh, you know, you bring up a very interesting question about science. Um, you can think about uh, the impact of our current environment as one very large and chronic stressor. Um, and, and for some, that could be traumatic. Um, and while I will say that um, in the context of trauma, people can become uh, stronger um, and there can be uh, post-traumatic growth. But in the, at the same time, um, some people uh, suffer, um, um, and some intermittently. And in kids, you know, you have to think about the, the, the fight and the flight responses a little bit differently. Um, the fight or flight response, I think, in the adult is much better understood in the context of trauma. But, you know, kids who uh, develop um, what we would call somatic or physical symptoms, um, stomach aches, headaches, body aches. Obviously, there are many other reasons why you might have those symptoms, but those symptoms can sometimes in a kid represent their, uh, you know, a, a, a certain type of anxiety or a certain type of, of depression that is the result of, uh, of ongoing stress. Um, in addition, you know, kids will uh, become quieter. Uh, their personality will seem to change and, and not, not always in the most dramatic way, but in subtle ways. Um, 
And that can include becoming more excitable, more talkative, um, acting out more, um, as well as uh, retracting and, and kind of uh, becoming more and more isolated. But whatever the case, it's really, really important that, that parents, that, that siblings, that friends, that teachers, that the administrators um, stay connected and talk to each other and explore things. There's nothing wrong with doing that. In fact, uh, along with many, many other aspects of the current challenges, there are silver linings. And if we're able to do that more effectively now, um, it's a way to, for us to get at stigma around suffering. You know, everybody's impacted right now. So people are understanding what stress means and what uh, mental suffering means in ways that they never would have without it. Um, at the end of the day, the most important thing I think for us is to figure out ways to stay connected. I mean, if I were a kid, I would want to be at school with my friends. I would want to be playing football and baseball like I did when I was in high school. But right now is not the time for that. Or, or if it's going to be done, it has to be done according to the guidelines of our public health experts. But as we develop new ways to stay connected and new ways to conduct business, we'll enrich ourselves, we'll enrich our communities, and we'll enrich the future when we start to be able to do some of the things that we used to rely upon to stay connected. So I think what kids really, really ought to be focused on today is how do I become a part of the solution? How do I help engineer the future? What are the things that, uh, that for me make a difference? And you know, the creativity of kids, the, the fresh eyes, the fresh hearts and spirits are, are things that really, really we uh, in our roles have to recognize and uh, provide platforms and microphones for kids to, to tell us how they're feeling and tell us what they want um, and help us create uh, that new normal, although I would call it uh, a new better thing. Uh, because, uh, you know, it's not about being normal. It's about us making progress together. Yeah, that's so true. The, like the hope that let's learn from this uh, situation. Uh, let's come out of it stronger, better, uh, and addressing some of the inequities that we know already exist in our own system. So thank you for that. Dr. Sharon, I thought it was interesting that some of the things that you talked about, like children um, exhibiting stress by saying they have a stomach ache or body ache, could be really confusing because that could also be symptoms of COVID. So um, I'm going to ask Dr. Ferrer on the next question but for, for, uh, about that. But before that, Dr. Ferrer, um, can you tell us a little bit more about how parents can make sure that their children are following the guidelines. How can parents make sure, especially if you have young children or even teenagers, um, how can you ensure that they're washing their hands regularly, that they're in implementing that physical distancing and not sneaking out somehow to, to you know, see their friends? Um, how can we make sure that they're wearing masks and they're, and they're wearing them regularly. What can parents do to make sure their children understand the importance of this? It's such a good question, Dr. Eduardo. You know, I, I would always start with, you know, we're role models, I mean, all adults. And, um, you know, children tend to uh, emulate or at least pay attention uh, to what we're actually doing, not what we're saying. 
Um, so the one thing that all adults can do who have children in their lives is they can follow the rules and, uh, and then make it clear why they're following the rules. I also think, you know, Dr. Sharon said something very important is that children are by their very nature creative and they're problem solvers. Uh, and they too need access to a kind of information that helps uh, them make sense of this world. So understanding why we need to do something, I think really helps everybody uh, feel better about needing to do it. But I'd start with, you know, we're, we're all, as adults, we're all role models and, and we need to play by the rules as well if we want our children to. And then I think there's sort of age appropriate decisions that need to get made about how to help children uh, comply with what are a new set of expectations around their behavior. You know, with young children, again, uh, playing games, making it fun, uh, but it's a, it's a requirement right now that everybody have those face coverings on at all times when they're not in their homes and they're not around people in their household. So young children have a lot of opportunity uh, now before they're going back to a school uh, building for an in-classroom experience to get comfortable uh, wearing that face covering and to wear it appropriately. Uh, I, I often encourage parents, you know, uh, children can design their own face coverings. They can personalize face coverings. They can own that face covering and they can be told how to take care of that and taught how to take care of that face covering uh, so that it's not this strange thing somebody else is asking you or making you do. It's something that you actually end up feeling pretty comfortable doing. And obviously for older adults, I mean, for older children, um, you know, the, the personalizing uh, may have some appeal, but I think uh, for older children, they often have a lot of, have developed a lot of empathy and really understand the relationship between their actions and what it means for other people. Older children also are, are very much aware of the toll that this virus is taking on our communities. Uh, they read the news, they see the news. Um, and I think uh, we can rely on them uh, if we make it easy for them to have those face coverings. Uh, we can rely on them to be empathetic and to understand this is how we care for each other. And, uh, and I would emphasize that, you know, these are things we're asking uh, our children to do because it's a sign of respect and it's a sign of caring and it saves lives. Uh, and everyone gets to be part of saving someone else's life. That's pretty powerful. And children, I think inherently um, actually look to being part of solutions. Um, so I think that could help. Same thing, I'm, I'm playing games around, you know, what's six feet of distancing? And I have young grandchildren, not that I've seen them, but I do talk to them, uh, you know, via a face, uh, face, FaceTime. Um, and, you know, we do talk about, you know, so for a young child, six feet, like what is six feet for a three-year-old, a four-year-old, a five-year-old? How do you explain that and play games so that children go get comfortable with keeping their distance when they are out and about? and they're out where there are places where there may be other people and other children. Uh, so again, I think we have an opportunity now before schools reopen for in-classroom learning to make sure our children get comfortable uh, with the new routines. Um, you know, sometimes I, I hear a lot of negativity, like, oh, children shouldn't have to do this, it's too hard. And I, I think what's hard for children is not giving them the opportunity to be part of the solution. None of us wanna live through this pandemic, we're all sick of it. We all wish this was over with. Um, but I think the attitude of, you know, we have this opportunity to be part of the solution. And for children especially, I think that's helpful. Instead of like, this is all bad, this is all negative. I think we have to emphasize, 
this is just where we are today. It's not forever, but for today, this is what we need to do to keep each other safe. Thank you, Dr. Farrar. I, I can't agree with you more on parents serving as role models. Our children are always looking at us and it's not what we say, but it's actually our actions. And the idea of empowering children to feel like they are part of the solution, that they can be part of the solution, I think is awesome. So thank you so much for that. Um, I'd like to go back to, um, back to Dr. Sharon. You talked about how important it is that all of us stay connected right now. And, and, and sometimes that's a challenge when you're doing everything from your home. Can you tell us a little bit about what can adults do to help ensure or provide guidance for students or youth on how they can stay connected? How can they do that right now when they're stuck at home? Well, you know, it's very difficult to stay connected in ways that we're used to. And, um, uh, you know, there, there are uh, opportunities through technology, obviously, um, whether it's through conversations or checking in, whether it's, um, uh, you know, doing puzzles together, um, whether it's, you know, playing games or doing video games, which probably for some parents can be a little bit onerous over time. Uh, these are really important things. Um, so it's a, it's a kind of a new brand of, of, of play that um, an interaction that, that, you know, we, uh, that, that we can endorse. I mean, I, there are a couple of really critical pieces to the, to the message that I want to reiterate that both you and Dr. Freer have brought up. The first one is, um, you know, you can't hide from the realities of our time. Um, we need to talk straight with kids. We need to respect kids and give them the information. Um, and in doing that, um, not scare them, but give them mastery, empower them, empower them to be a part of the solution um, and to help, uh, you know, engineer the way that we will um, you know, operate as, as a collective. Um, the other thing is that you can look at, uh, you know, the hand washing and the distance and the mask as a burden. Um, you can look at it as something that, you know, you have to do, or you can say, that's my purpose. My purpose is going to be uh, to, to kind of develop expertise and discipline and take pride in what I do for my safety, for the safety of my family, for my neighborhood, and frankly, for the whole community, because our interdependence right now is, uh, is, is just being, uh, it's so bright. It's so uh, clear that everything that we do impacts other people. So if we look at that from an ownership perspective and say, that's my purpose, and really show each other love. I uh, show each other love uh, by um, by following the guidelines uh, from public health, um, and and in so doing, demonstrating connectedness um, and and embracing our interconnectedness. And I would say the same thing when it comes to uh, to 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 racism and to inequities. We have to figure out ways uh, to to be a collective to respect each other as a collective and to take ownership of, of not just our, our responsibility and our duty, but our opportunity. Awesome, thank you. 
I love that looking at it as an act of love and, and that's what it's going to take is all of us caring about one another to make sure that we're getting better outcomes. You know, Dr. Sharon, you had mentioned earlier about how some of the symptoms of stress in children could be physiological, like a stomach ache or a headache or something like that. And, and Dr. Ferrer, and I, I'm bringing this back to you because as we're asking parents to monitor their children's symptoms, uh, to, and, and on top of that, we're going into flu season. So how can parents tell? Is, does my child have a stomach ache because they're stressed out? Or do they have a stomach ache because they have the flu? Or is it possible that they have COVID? And all of this is very confusing to parents. So what are, what are your thoughts about how we can advise parents when it comes to monitoring their children's <laughs> symptoms? Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Eduardo. And, and I think it is a really important question. I, I guess I would start with, you know, one piece of, of advice that, that's a little bit unrelated, but I think it's so important is uh, right now is the time to make sure that you have a provider, a clinician for your child, um, that you build a relationship uh, that could be a pediatrician or a nurse, uh, somebody at the clinic who knows you and your child and can be there for you uh, during these difficult times, because you're absolutely right. It's very confusing when children get sick, particularly younger children who may not be able to verbalize exactly how bad they're feeling or what symptoms uh, they're experiencing. You know, in general, uh, you know, a rule of thumb is, you know, if your child is running a, a temperature and it's above 100, 100.4, we say, it's really time to call a provider and do that check-in. Um, it, you don't need to necessarily uh, go to see, go to the clinic at that point, uh, but you do want to check in, which is why it's so important to make sure ahead of time uh, that you have a trusted relationship with a provider, you know, hopefully in your community that can help you sort out what may be going on with your children. You know, I never wanted to give, uh, a, you know, direct advice to parents because A, you know your children best. And uh, I have many parents who say to me, you know, something's just not right. And I say, when, when you feel like something's just not right, you should call uh, a, a doctor or a clinician uh, and let them know uh, what's going on with your child. Um, the second thing we also say is it is gonna be flu season um, and uh, children uh, are gonna be very likely, uh, particularly if you uh, haven't immunized them, uh, they could be very likely uh, if we have a, a tough season uh, to be sick with influenza. And many of the symptoms for flu are similar symptoms to COVID-19. Uh, the one reason why we ask parents to check their children for symptoms uh, of respiratory illness, of fevers, um, before those children go to school is whether it's flu or it's COVID or it's something else, if your child is sick, please do not send them to school. Make sure ahead of time you have some arrangements, particularly for those of us who work, uh, you have some arrangements for someone uh, to come in and be able to take care of your child. Because this would not be the year to give your child uh, that Tylenol uh, in the morning and say, oh, this will keep him going until I can pick him up in the afternoon. We cannot have people who are symptomatic come into schools. This is not the season uh, at all for us having any tolerance for people who don't feel well and have signs or symptoms of any kind of illness uh, to come into our school buildings. And we're all, again, we have to do our part on this. 
Um, but I, I, so I say those two things, you know, whether it's COVID or it's influenza or it's something else, your child should stay home. Uh, I don't know if people remember at the beginning of this pandemic when we didn't have easy access to testing, what we told everyone is if you've got signs and symptoms for COVID, you need to stay home for 10 days. Um, because that's really the general infectious period, the time where you could be infecting somebody else. It's usually about 10 days. And we would say the same thing. Um, you know, uh, if your child is ill, uh, and particularly if they've got symptoms, you know, please let them stay home uh, until they have no symptoms. And if you suspect that it's COVID-19, it's time for children to get tested. There are 13,000 children in LA County that have tested positive for COVID-19. So it's a myth that children don't get infected. And it's also a myth that children don't get sick. Some children even have ended up in our hospitals. Um, so we should keep that in mind. Talk to your provider. If your child has symptoms, your child should get tested. And by all means, always keep your child home if they're not feeling well. Thank you, Dr. Farrar. And you know, that's so important because, you know, it, schools are also gonna be monitoring for symptoms. So if someone were to send their child to school, the school would most likely turn them around and send them back home. So we wanna make sure that we don't have sick children going to school. So I, I really appreciate you pointing that out. And also just wanted to add how important it is that parents are still keeping their children's immunizations up to date because people are so concerned about COVID and they may not think how important it is that they continue with the other immunizations that are also really important. So I wanna thank you for, for bringing that up. I wanna go back to Dr. Sharon, cause you already talked about the importance of children staying connected. Um, what are you suggesting that parents do or teachers do for students who are just feeling anxiety and they're scared with so much uncertainty going on around them. I mean, we know many adults are feeling under a lot more stress and feeling a lot more anxious. What can parents do to help, um, help their children with the anxiety and that they, the fear that they're experiencing as a result of this pandemic? Well, you know, this is a really important question and it's not an easy question to answer. Um, with, uh, with the pandemic, um, with a lot of the uh, confusion around messaging, um, the, the, the lack of control that people sense um, can be crippling. Um, and really, I think one of the key solutions to that is just sorting out the facts and, 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 and understanding um, the guidance, um, having awareness of the current situation, um, accepting it, and, and in some ways embracing it, um, which we've talked about our, uh, earlier today, uh, is really, really important. Um, we all need to feel safe and kids need to feel safe. They need to feel safe because they have uh, a place to live and people that love them. Um, but they also need to feel safe because uh, there's not so much unknown. There's not so much uh, in their environment that is provoking in them a sense that they're out of control, that their parents are out of control, that everything is out of control, because that can be a spiraling type phenomenon. Um, what I will say is that the Department of Mental Health, um, you know, going back to the beginning of this pandemic, uh, shifted um, a lot of our resource and a lot of our staffing. And we developed 
uh, an emotional support line, um, which is available 24-7. Um, and I'm just going to give it a plug. Uh, the number is 800-854-7771. Um, and I would encourage uh, parents or kids to call that number. Uh, call that number and uh, check in. Check in with someone who can talk you through something that's uh, bothersome. Um, call in to deal with some of the stuff that you were just discussing with Dr. Ferrer. You know, well, my kid has uh, body aches um, and, and they're, they're acting a little different and, they, and they're not sleeping well. And, uh, you know, their, their stomach is, is, is not, you know, is not kind of uh, normal. You know, well, there's a way for us to figure out, um, you know, how to support the people, how to uh, provide people with guidance and um, navigate the system um, to sort out what's actually going on and to connect them with clinical services. You know, someone that calls the warm line um, and there's not an explanation that really looks like it's something viral, uh, but in fact traces back to, you know, behaviors and, and patterns of signs and symptoms uh, that suggest that maybe it's related to depression or anxiety. Um, we want to help. We want to connect people to care, whether it's care that we deliver or whether it's through their private insurance or whether it's through one of the managed uh, care plans. Um, and you know, this, uh, this is a big deal. The other thing that I'll tell you is that we as a department and as a county um, are offering Headspace, which is a very, very powerful uh, technology mental health application uh, for people to uh, you know, find on the web, plug in as an LA County uh, resident and um, go through the guided meditations, um, go through the exercises because they're going to be helpful. The other thing is that, you know, we have uh, just like uh, the, the Department of Public Health in LACO, the Department of Mental Health has a very, very rich website. And on the website, we have many, many resources. And these are resources that parents or kids can use to help demystify some of the stuff that's going on and I would say to disempower and de-energize some of the fear and the sense that they lack control. Wonderful. Well, I just want to thank both of you. Um, I think it's amazing you both touched upon how important it is to have honest, um, heartfelt conversations with children, helping them to understand the facts helping them to understand the world around them and how they can be a part of the solution and empowering children and youth. Um, I really wanna encourage everyone listening to take advantage of the resources that are out there. Dr. Sharon shared some, we have some on LACO's website as this Department of Public Health. There is no shame, and I especially want to say to our Latino, our African-American communities that sometimes want to say, ah, I'm not crazy, I don't need that. We all need some support sometimes, and these are very, very difficult times. And I hope that people will take advantage of using those warm lines and other resources to just kind of process what's going on with you and your family and, and how you can best support your children. Uh, really, again, I wanna thank both of my colleagues. It really is gonna take all of us coming together and really doing what's best for our children, for the parents, for our communities. 
and we want to work together. And we are a county in Los Angeles that cares about our children, that puts them as a priority. They are our future and they can thrive despite a pandemic. Um, if anybody has any questions, please feel free to go to communications at laco.edu. We'll be happy to answer your questions and connect you to additional resources. So again, thank you, Dr. Sharon. Thank you, Dr. Farrar. You're both doing an amazing job um, helping all of us during this pandemic. And we really appreciate all of your work. Thank you. Thanks. This episode of LA Public Health was produced by the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Our department is nationally accredited by the Public Health Accreditation Board and is committed to protecting and improving the health of over 10 million residents in Los Angeles County. For more information about DPH programs and services, visit publichealth.lacounty.gov and follow us on social media at LA Public Health. My name is Steve Baldwin, and you've been listening to the LA Public Health Podcast.